Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Hi everyone, this is Lori. Welcome back to the 20-Minute Scriptorian. I hope you're all doing great in your Come Follow Me study. We are finishing up for 2019, and right now we are in the early Christian letters, and we're hitting 1 Peter today. So... Let's jump in. As you remember, last time we did a little all about session. We talked about who Peter was and maybe when this was being written and who it was being written to. And I thought today we would just jump in right into the verses. So I'm going to jump over to 1 Peter 1. And if you want to go back through the background and all of that, please just go back and, and listen to the all about section. All right. I'm going to read a slightly... Um, simpler English version here of First Peter, since you probably have King James. All right, I'm just doing verses 1 through 9, and, and what I want you to notice in 1 through 9 as we go through it is this is really the structure, the outline, the entire thesis of, of Peter's uh, first letter, or these first nine verses. So I want you to just see if you can see what are the themes, what is he going to try to described to this this group of churches that are in Asia Minor or Turkey. Peter, an apostle of Jesus the Messiah, to God's chosen ones who live as foreigners among the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been set aside in advance by God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and for sprinkling with the blood of Jesus the Messiah. May grace and peace be poured out lavishly upon you. May God be blessed, God the Father of our Lord Jesus the Messiah. His mercy is abundant, and so he has become our Father in a second birth into a living hope through the resurrection from the dead of Jesus the Messiah. This has brought us into an incorruptible inheritance which nothing can stain or diminish. At the moment, it is kept safe for you in the heavens while you are being kept safe by God's power through faith for a rescue that is already and waiting to be revealed in the final time. This is why you celebrate. Yes, it may well be necessary that for a while you may have to suffer trials and tests of all sorts, but this is so that the true value of your faith may be discovered. It is worth more than gold, which is tested by fire even though it can be destroyed. The result will be praise, glory, and honor when Jesus the Messiah is revealed. You love him, even though you've never seen him. And even though you don't see him, you believe in him and celebrate with a glorified joy that goes beyond anything words can say, since you are receiving the proper goal of your faith, namely, the rescue of your lives. So this is just a wonderful letter and written by, obviously, the Apostle Peter, which we talked about. And I love these opening three paragraphs because in it we see the just big themes 
that it's a mouthful, right? But this big themes and big ideas that are worth sitting all together that Peter's going to uh, develop throughout the whole letter. So I'm just going to go over those verses so that as you continue to read or go back, say, hey, are these themes throughout the whole letter? And they are. So the first is, the, I love in verses one and two, uh, the words here in this translation says that, that the Christians are chosen. They are set aside. They're sanctified for obedience, sprinkled with the Messiah's blood. Wow. So I, that's already brain exploded, right? There's so much material. But Peter doesn't uh, talk to these people in terms of their ancestry or their moral background or maybe their, you know, their social status or their gender or how wealthy they are or their poverty. He doesn't talk about anything. He's describing something new to them, this new creation, this new uh, Christianity, this new birth that they've had. Uh, like us. And he wants to say that all those old things, those old ways of looking at things, your ancestry, your wealth, your gender, something like that, that set you aside in society is not how this new organization works. And it's really, I think, easy for us to forget our basic identity as members of the Church of Jesus Christ. And that it's it's important then we have to be reminded, right, on a regular basis that if we are you know, we got to do like our preventative maintenance, like on a car. We got to go back and, and remind us so that these concepts don't creep in things that we maybe misunderstand of who we are and what's really important. And Peter's going to start out and he's going to remind the people in the early church of who they really are. And he is saying, you are somebody important. But who was it then? So if it's important to remind it, what, what does he say that they are? Uh, the first one is I love that by the you know by God's choice by His mercy they have been we've been chosen for a particular purpose. Um, he he addresses everybody as foreigners. Did you catch that? Let's see, it's it's right out of the gate there in verse one in the King James. He says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout. And he lists a bunch of places. And then he says, the elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So what is he, I think, really powerful. This is what struck me is the, just, wow, this is something different. Why would he say that you are strangers or foreigners? They're not foreigners because they're living in Turkey or modern day Turkey or parts of these are what they call Asia. That's not like we think of the continent, but just this little section. But he's not like, oh, you guys are from, you know, you're Jews and you've been transplanted. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that they've got kind of a dual citizenship, right? That they have a heavenly family. They have a an elect, a chosen uh, calling that they've been called to. Now, is that is that like us? Do you feel like sometimes do you feel called or special? And if you do say, hey, what's this chosenness if I've been called. Maybe I had my patriarchal blessing and it says, hey, I'm from this tribe and I'm supposed to have certain blessings and responsibilities. I don't, I don't know what that means. But first he says strangers. He means foreigners. You're, you're now not part of the world. You're now part of something beyond. You have joined the, the saints, joined the heavenly family, or you've rejoined your heavenly family, as it may be a better way to say it. Now, you've set a, set a site for uh, God's purpose and I love this word chosen, and 
it's really that you're set aside, right? We've talked about it being holy. You've been set aside by God for his purpose, for his usage now. So in a technical sense, uh, God has set us apart for this, this new purpose. And in a practical sense, you know, your, our actual lives are transformed. We actually have different lives now, whether because of our obedience, our behavior, people, how, how we're part of the saints and this greater family. But all of those things, how we behave, how we interact in the world reflects how God wants to interact with all of his children. And we are just chosen to be representatives of that. Say, hey, you're going to be this chosen, this elect, holy, set apart for his purpose. Oh, daunting, right? Boy, that, I, I don't know I was getting into that, but boy, that's a big calling. And it's, it's exceptional. It's exciting. Now, why do you think Peter is starting his letter reminding us that we are strangers and foreigners, we are sojourners, we are travelers here, and that we are elect and set apart um, by the Lord? Hmm. I don't know. It maybe, maybe. I wonder if it's because Peter's trying to tell us that we have to reset our paradigm. We have to reset our perspective so that when we live in the world and we have trials and challenges or it's a dog-eat-dog dog, or we want to lash back out or we want to be like those around us, we're going to have to remember that we have a higher calling. We have been uh, set aside by God now for this holy purpose. All right, let's keep going. Uh, amazing stuff already, right? So good. All right, so what's next in verses three and five, three through five? So I think the best way of talking about God and what he's done is, is praise, right? So you see, it isn't just a description. It's praise, is that Peter is going to offer praise to what the Lord has done. He says, may God be blessed because of his mercy. And, and there's nothing bigger than mercy. And so I love that he is going to remind us of how much the Lord loves and gives to us and that he has given us hope, a lively, a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That all these troubles and things that we may have in life are going to be offset by the blessing of the, of the Messiah, his atonement, and the love that the Lord offers us. So that's kind of the, the big idea, that the, that the new life we get through Christ, that the new faith and salvation that we've now entered into as members of the church um, are, are here for us. So we have a reason to rejoice. And though even though we have temptations and trials, I love how it says in verse 7 um, in King James, it says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though tried with fire. So even the gold, you know, has to be how you purify it, that you, I worked in a, have you ever seen how gold is purified? Dumb aside, sorry. When I was in college, way back when, I worked in a lab, I was in chemistry for a long time, and they did these gold assays, and you put all this pulverized dirt in this crucible, and then you grab these big tongs, and you would put some other chemicals in it, and you would stick it in a kiln, and it was super hot. I mean, even using the really long tongs and sticking it in the fire was really hot. And then it would uh, bubble and boil, and all the, the junky stuff would float off, and you'd siphon that off, and then you'd have this little clump of gold. And so it was really, really hot. And the, so I just really always think of that was those gold assays that the that the fire purifies out 
all the impurities until you have this this perfect lump and he's saying your faith is trying you it's making you gold it's it's taking those that dross and that sludge away and so that you might be found unto praise and honor and glory when christ comes at his appearance and even though you haven't seen him you'll love him um and i and i love that uh peter's seen him we we might not have seen him but he's saying i love that you guys love him even though you have not seen him and you will receive the end of your faith you'll see him someday and you will be saved and that's that's the big idea um that is the big idea in peter i want to point out that it's probably because there are going to be some challenges there's going to be some things that are going to come up in the lives of these early saints uh, much like ours and he is going to say hey remember who you are remember that the lord has set you aside and that your faith in christ is the mercy and salvation of his atonement and how much the lord loves you is what is to be remembered when you're going through trials isn't peter great isn't uh aren't these small letters just gems you just i, I dug into those first uh, nine verses and really loved it and then i i really liked a section in peter 2 uh the living stone and it's verses 4 through 10 and the Lord is going to, or Peter's going to remind the saints, so he's reminding us too, that uh, when we're going to have trials, we're going to have things that happen, uh, whether it's our faith or just life is tried, he is going to give us some instruction. And he says this, come to him, to that living stone. Wait, did you catch that? Do you remember what Peter's nickname means? Peter's name means the rock. If anybody knows when you get tried and when things get tough, where to go, it's the stone. It's Peter. And he's not saying himself. He is saying to turn to the Lord. Oh, so cool. Okay, keep going. Second uh, Peter 2, 4. Humans rejected him, speaking of the Lord, but God chose him and values him very highly. Like living stones yourself, yourselves, you are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices that will be well-pleasing to God through Jesus the Messiah. That's why it stands in scripture. Look, I'm setting up in Zion a chosen precious cornerstone. Believe in him. He'll be not ashamed. He is indeed precious for you believers. But when people don't believe, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble as they disobey the word which indeed was their destiny. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. Your purpose is to announce the virtuous deeds of the one who called you out of darkness into his amazing light. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Wow, there's a lot to unpack in this. And let's go back and pull some out. This one is really great. The first thing that we should point out is the word stone is repeated six times in five verses and the word rock thrown in one more time. So stones um, are something that usually kind of get in the way, right? This is like a stumbling block or a stumbling stone. Um, but if you think back to the scriptures, if you, if you think kind of the whole arc of the scriptures one of the common themes 
is that of the temple, right? Of the covenant and the Lord returning to his people and coming to live with us. And he does that where heaven and earth meet on the temple. And so when a temple is properly built, it has uh, you know, a stone or a rock and that's the cornerstone. And so you have to find the right stone and you, then you will be on your way to, to welcome God back, right? So that's the first thing. The second word stone uh, that is really very much like, uh, this one's kind of interesting because the word stone and sun in Hebrew are very similar. So sun is ben, uh, uh, sun is ben and stone is eben, eben. And so there's usually this play on words. And in Mark 12, 1 through 12, uh, Jesus has this story about the sun and the punchline is this uh, stone quote. And from Psalm 118, there's a passage and Isaiah is also alluding to that, uh, the Psalm 118, 22. So how does sun and, and stone join up? Well, another famous covenant is the one that David would actually build the temple in Jerusalem, and the son um, of David would actually be the son of God himself, seven, uh, Second Samuel 7. So the first is that God will build a temple, and the second, one, the second part is that God's promised David that his son, David's son, would build a temple. And Solomon did build the temple, but David's son, Christ, Jesus, is the royal son that's going to build this, this special temple. So I think we see this just overlaying of being a time when, yes, Isaiah is going to say there'll be the proper stone, the proper son that will come. But in, indeed, sometimes if we think of these early Christians, they're looking back and saying, we're the, you know, we're the chosen, we're the precious cornerstone. Uh, what about us in the latter days? The, the covenant that we have now is the same, right? It's the same where we're going to, with the temple and the Abrahamic promise and the promise of God coming, this new and everlasting covenant is back. And I love how Peter says it in verse 6, believe in him. So it seems complicated. It, it is complicated. But once you kind of picture firmly in mind God's promise to send his son, and his promise to build a house that he will come to live for, live in uh, forever where there's people. And if you stitch those two together, then the rest of the passage is not too bad. So Peter is saying Jesus is the stone, and the temple is through him. And then he is the living stone, again, Christ in verse 4. And Peter's thinking within this temple-building picture, but he rolls Isaiah now into Psalm 118, 22, and says that that passage, the builder's, discard one particular stone, right, that doesn't fit. They take a stone that's not the right fit, and they find the perfect stone. It's the perfect place. And said some will reject him, some reject Jesus. But when you're building, you find the perfect stone, and then the whole building is complete. I love how, at the end, Peter picks up in verse 10 this famous uh, quote from Hosea 2.23, that you are not a people, you're now God's people, that they did not receive mercy, and now they have received mercy. So all things of this were spoken before, right? If you were the Jewish, you were ethnic Israel. And now, as part of the new covenant, you are the holy, holy priesthood. You are in the covenant now. You're either adopted in or actual um, not adopted in, as the case may be with your family. But part of this covenant is returned and through Christ, and then coming back to the temple is all right there. Um, great stuff. So uh, head back to Isaiah 2.22. Check out the
the chosen race, royal priesthood, Exodus 19. Also, uh, what did I quote? Oh, Psalms 118, 22. And see if, just kind of roll that around and see. I thought that that was pretty profound as this living stone, Christ being all of those covenants uh, rolled into one. That's it, Scriptorians. Next time we'll hit something.